Welcome to the Unapologetic Designer Podcast, where we chat controversial design topics and expose the raw truth about life as a designer. Welcome back to the podcast. I have another amazing guest today who is a very talented, multi-passionate designer that's also one of our Design Business Academy graduates at the Brief Collective and an alumni member and a part of a sorority. She's also a big and mentors our other students. And she has even done a little coaching session for our own alumni members. So Jess, do you want to further introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Kenzie. I'm Jess. I am the owner of Prairie Glow Design Studio out of Saskatchewan, Canada. And yeah, it's been such a fun journey getting to grow and figure out what this design biz is going to look like for me. The Brief Collective and Kenzie have been a huge part of that. But it's been fun to kind of make it my own in these past few months, getting to know more designers, getting to know more clients, getting to really refine who I'm trying to work for and what I want that to feel like in the bigger context of my life. So yeah, I'm so excited to chat a little bit more today and and dig into a bit more of what that journey's looked like. Yeah, so I'd really love to know more about how you even got into design and like how you veered off into this direction because I know just from, you know, having you in DBA and stuff that you do so many different things and have a lot going on. Yeah, I tell people it's kind of I'm a chronic all or nothing person. I tend to (laughs) say yes to maybe too many things. So I'm sort of always learning where my limits are and where the proper boundary is in my life. But design was such a serendipitous thing for me. Like I started out as an educational assistant. So like teacher's aide in schools, working with students who were deaf, hard of hearing, autistic, ADHD. And I loved it. I loved those kids so much. But I kept feeling like there were boundaries to the education industry that didn't let me make the difference that I wanted to in the lives of those students. So I thought, well, maybe I can take this from a different angle. I can make a difference in a different way. I was still doing wedding photography at the time. I'd done that, honestly, since I was, I think the first paid wedding I ever did was when I was 12. Like, I can't believe somebody did that and actually let me take (laughs) the photos. Me either. Like, what? (laughs) I mean, no, I can't. Yeah, it still blows my mind. I remember crying over those photos because they weren't, they couldn't be what I had the vision for in my head. I just didn't have the skill set yet. You know, that moment as a creative when you like, you know what you want, but you can't get there because you're in the learning journey. And yeah, it was so frustrating. But um, yeah, so I had kind of veered away from photography a little bit, tried to pursue a way to make a difference for these kids. I ended up going to university for psychology, thinking, well, I've worked with therapists before in different capacities. I've worked in different clinical offices. Maybe that would be a spot I can make a difference. And I really care about getting to the root of what people are experiencing. So I dove into university and slowly my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, really encouraged me to just like pursue the creative things that were giving me life. And one of those was making things from nothing because photography was seeing what was in front of me and capturing it. And I really felt called to try to a different approach to my artwork. So I started drawing, I started sketching, I started making things on Photoshop because I couldn't afford Illustrator at the time and learned how to like build designs. And I loved that branding let me look at somebody, figure out who they were, ask them deep questions about themselves, and then create something from that to represent who they were. And it just was like a perfect fit for where I was. So that was kind of how the world of brand design and web design kind of landed in my lap. I wasn't really looking for it. 
it just sort of happened at the right time and was this really cool bringing together of a ton of passions I'd always had. I launched my business in February of 2022 and it was a a crazy journey because I knew I was a serial entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was seven. I started a bakery out of my mother's kitchen, (laughs) but I could afford to go to summer camp (laughs) and, and I made it work. Like we, I did that every summer for six years and I earned enough money to go to camp every single year. And I paid for utilities. I paid for ingredients. I paid for advertising. And like, I built my little flyers and handed them out at church on Sunday morning. And yeah, that like, it was in my bones to be an entrepreneur and do things that weren't the nine to five. And when brand design showed up, it was just like this perfect intro. And it was, it was such a cool next step. And you're still going to school for psychology, right? I am. I'm kind of taking my degree slowly at this point because I could pound it into four years, but I just feel like that's so much extra work and stress and pressure. And it's really hard, believe it or not, to want to study for things or like do an exam when I just signed an $8,000 client. Like (laughs) class after that. (laughs) So I think you can relate to that, Kenzie. You started in a dorm room too. So like, yeah, it's just when things start happening and they're exciting and inspiring. And then I'm like, Or I could go back to class for two, three, however many more years I need to go until I'm done. Yeah, it very much creates a tension in my life. So learning how to manage those and be multi-passionate and do a lot of things that I care about at one time, but do them well. I feel like that's an ongoing thing I'm always learning too. Do you feel like you're kind of still obtaining that degree as like an alternate path? Because like, obviously Mm -hmm. you have, already achieved a lot of success as a designer like have you thought about just going full-time design and just forgetting about the degree yeah that's in a funny place in my life probably because of the passions that underlie both of them so right now I don't really see myself like pursuing a career in psychology after I get my degree Um, I'll probably finish the degree but I'll probably finish it really slowly because I care about the learning and like lifelong learning is something that I've like, I think increasingly learned to value the more I'm around other entrepreneurs. And so now I didn't, I didn't view it this way when I started university, but I think now I view my degree as just an opportunity to continue learning, continue being exposed to more perspectives. It's not really a career path, at least in my current point of view. So I think I will continue to press into my business with more priority and kind of let school be something I do in the background, which sounds really weird because I know a lot of students, that's all they're doing is school and like their whole life is studying and exams and they don't even have a part-time job. But I think what feels more aligned for me right now is leaning into my business and really allowing myself to build into what I've started there. And maybe I'll take classes like one or two at a time as I, as I want to kind of. What is your day-to-day life or even like just week by week? What does that look like balancing, you know, your design business and also going to school? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question because I feel like (laughs) it varies and I don't always do it well, but I, it's a skill like learning how to create boundaries around our time and our energy is a skill and it's a skill nobody teaches us. I think until we get around other entrepreneurs, hopefully who've been along the path a lot longer than us. And I have some phenomenal women in my life, yourself, Kenzie and Marissa from the Brief Collective, but also other women that I've intentionally surrounded myself with 
who are really good at reminding me when I'm getting to like my limits and I'm not balancing my time well. So like typically a day, if it's a day when I have classes, cause I don't have classes every day. I did that intentionally when I was booking my class times because I just didn't want to be up too early in the morning. I didn't want to be in class for like six hours every single day. I didn't want to be flooded with homework after class or be doing assignments every day. Like I just knew that that wouldn't be sustainable or let me build my business. So if it's a day I have classes, I often will get up early in the morning. I might go live on Instagram for my business. I might create content in the morning. I might take an hour or two and work on a client project. Um, Then I will go to class. I'll do what I need to do there and try to be as single-minded as I can. My husband knows I'm not always good at that. Sometimes I come home and he's like, did you get anything done at school? Like, did you even listen to them? I'm like, (laughs) Well, not today because I had cool stuff to make and they were talking about stuff I kind of already knew because I read the textbook. So (laughs) I do fall into that trap and I want to be more disciplined with that. But generally, I let school be a time when I'm like at school and then I'll come home and kind of prioritize. So then I'm in a a place of looking at my to-do list, looking at my client load and my coursework and deciding, okay, what is the biggest thing that is time sensitive and has the most weight to it? So Honestly, if that's a bunch of textbook reading that I feel I don't need to do to understand the course material, I'm not reading the textbook. I'm going to go work on something I have to do for a client. But if I have like no client deadline coming up really soon, but I was really interested in the coursework, sure, I might take some more time and, and read some of that. Or if I have a client project that's just really inspiring me, I'll block off a couple hours and just like dive all the way into that and have a great time with it. So It's a balancing act. And I don't think for me, the answer was having a really strict, rigid, time-blocked schedule. I heard a lot of people talking about, well, you got to time block. You got to block off hours in your calendar and just treat them like a meeting, you know, just show up. And that never felt good to me to do. And it never felt good to have done after the fact. So I kind of just gave myself permission to let my day-to-day be really fluid. And I recognize that there's, there's power in leading myself. So I have to know if there's something I don't feel like doing, but it has to get done today. Like I need to do it. I need to keep the promises I've made to myself. So that's an ongoing journey and it looks different in different seasons. Here in April, I'm going to be finished with this semester of school. And that means I'll get a whole lot more of my time and my energy back to put into client work and into gaining new leads and all of that fun stuff. So it shifts and changes. But generally, I try to decide what is going to feel best to have done already and what's going to lead me in the direction that I want to go right now while I'm still honoring the commitments that I've made. Yeah, I feel like I'm a lot of the same way when it comes to that stuff, because as you know, I'm not the planning type (laughs) to an extent, Uh, not like Marissa. So a lot of my days are more like I do have a little to-do list and stuff, but it's kind of like my brain knows like okay, well, if this is due, you know, in two days, you need to work on this now, even though Mm. you might want to be doing something else or like could be doing something else. So I also know you recently hosted your first workshop because I was there. How did that go? What inspired you to host a workshop? Tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. That story is actually super fun. And I feel like anybody else who identifies as like multi-passionate, or I like to use the term that I borrowed from TikTok, neurospicy. It just means like people who are neurodivergent, who have some form of a diagnosis. Um, for me, that's autism. For my husband, is ADHD. 
Um, it just means that a lot of things happen in funny ways you wouldn't expect sometimes. <laughs> and the workshop was one of those. I was trying to think of new ways to like get in front of the people who were already following me specifically on Instagram. Cause I've been putting a lot of my energy into Instagram. So I thought, well, maybe I should do like one of those, like I could go live. I could do a get ready with me video. So I was doing my makeup and I was thinking I should go live. Like, I want to do that. That feels fun. I want to try it, but I was scared. And I talked myself out of it the whole time I was doing my makeup. <laughs> so afterward, I finally just turned on like my little makeup light in my bathroom and did the live. Like, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to do it. Like, I have to do it now. It's going to bug me if I don't. So I just went live and I was talking to people and just like chatting about some of the things that I was launching. I was going to launch one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, which I've loved doing. And I was also, all of a sudden, I just heard myself say, yeah, and there's going to be a workshop I'm doing at the end of the month. So pay attention for that. Make sure you're watching my stories. I'm going to be announcing that soon. And I got off the live and I was like, damn. Now I have to do a workshop <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't that I didn't want to, but like, I did not plan that. So I'd said it, people watched it and then I posted the live and it was out in the world. So I kind of created this like moment that kept me accountable. I was like, well, now you've talked about it. Now you have to do it. And I think that's actually a great strategy. If you feel like you don't follow through with things, like give yourself something that holds you to account. When I was relaunching my brand in November for my birthday, I set the date when I was coaching with Marissa in the summer. I said, okay, my birthday, November 4th, I'm going to launch this thing. And then I had to do it because I told people I was doing it and I was talking about it on social media. And now I had to follow through because there was hundreds of people watching those decisions who were expecting that of me and I needed to build trust. So this was kind of the same thing where I'd said it, now I had to do it. So I sat down later that day and started making the slide deck. I had a couple ideas that had been floating around in my head for things I wanted to talk about, things I love to teach on, and it kind of just flowed from there. So I built out the slide deck. I created some things I could promote with and just like ran with it. And I started promoting it. I started talking about it all the time. I started celebrating every person who signed up. If there was another subscriber on my email list, I like partied on Instagram and it was exciting and it was fun and people bought into it. And like at the end of three weeks, there were 57 women who signed up for that. And every single one of them has watched the, the either live or they've watched the replay. And that was so cool. I think it was just this like serendipitous little confidence builder for me that I didn't know I needed, but maybe internally I did know because I, I said it. But just that reminder of like, you can do the things that you say you're going to do if you just decide to follow through with them. And even the teaching of it, it was so fun getting the feedback from people. I know there were a couple ladies in my hometown actually who were going to watch it and they created a little watch party. They like four of them got together the other day and like watched the replay all together and like made it a thing. They took notes and they talked about it. And like, it was so fun and such a cool community building opportunity. But I don't think it's one I would have done if I'd sat and thought about it any longer than I did. So I'm glad I kind of just like went with the flow after I promised it on live. Yeah, I feel like that's the power of accountability, not just like accountability among others but also like accountability for yourself it can really push yeah. you to do things that like maybe otherwise you wouldn't be doing yeah totally I feel that way like even with having been a student in DBA that was a huge part of why I got the growth out of it that I did was because I chose to feel that as accountability I don't think just because someone enters like a group environment 
that you have to be accountable to them. But I think you should want to. <laughs> like I wanted to. I met all these women who wanted to grow and was like, okay, I want to show up for this. I want to show up for me. I've invested in this. I'm going to invest my time. And I think that's why there's been growth and continued. That's why I've been part of alumni because it's been built in accountability. And I kind of learned the power of that. And it, it just makes such a difference when you have, yeah, a community that understands you, but also a community that's going to look at you and say, okay, did you do the thing you said you were going to do? Because that's important. Are you being who you say you're going to be? Like, those are powerful questions that I think we don't ask each other enough. And maybe we don't give people permission to ask us that enough. I think we need to create those spaces so that we can be held to things that are going to grow us. Because otherwise, it's easy to get scared and not do the live while you're doing your makeup. Or, you know, it's easy to just not do the thing because there's nobody telling you, okay, you said you'd do it. Where is it? Exactly. And I think that part of being a good entrepreneur, and I know for a fact that you have this instilled in you, but other people, it doesn't come as natural is self-discipline. Like that's a huge yeah. part of just running a business in general. Yeah, totally. And I think we're in this world that likes to tell us, you know, um, heal your feminine energy, do what feels good, stay in your pleasure, you know, don't, don't be slave to like your masculine energy and the hustle culture. And I'm all for that. I don't think we thrive when all we do is hustle. I don't think we are at our best when we're constantly pushing past our edges. But I do think there's so much power in when we recognize, sit with yourself, find the things that feel good, and then ask yourself, what's another thing that will feel good to have done already? Like when I'm done this thing, will I be glad I did it? Those are the things that are going to move you. And if they scare you, even better. I really think the things that don't scare us aren't growing us. And we don't talk about the discipline that it takes to step into those scary things over and over and over. Like before I was even considering university before I was an educational assistant, all those things, I actually worked with a group that's local to me that did leadership and business development. And I was with them for about five years. And I had very wealthy people, very wise people, very experienced and seasoned entrepreneurs, like pouring into me and providing that accountability. But the, the crux of what we did together was things that they said, you know, I can't do this for you. You have to be disciplined if this is going to work. And if you're going to come to me as a mentor and say, it's just not working, it's just not working. Well, I'm going to ask you, did you do this? Did you do this that we said to do? Did you listen to this piece of advice? Were you disciplined? Did you do this regularly? Were you consistent? And if you can't answer yes, I'm not surprised it's not working. So that's hard to hear sometimes when we want to like sit back and let it all just flow. But the, the like abundance and the success I think only can come on the heels of really disciplined work. And the work doesn't have to feel bad. The work doesn't have to feel like hustle. You know, I think you can have both. And, and that's why you were such a good student because you came into DBA knowing that you yeah. have to do your part. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's something, I mean, we try to highlight it, but some people take that as like a toxic statement, like, oh, mm -hmm. like I can't do the work for you, but it, it's the truth. Like we can yeah. give you all the tools, the resources, the education, the accountability, but we can't do the work for you. You have to do it for yourself. 
and especially in the realm of brand design, why do you want someone else to do the work for you? Like not, you don't want to hire a brand designer. Please, please, please hire a professional. (laughs) But branding, I tell people all the time, is something that's going to take a lot of inner work because I'm not just creating something that looks nice. That's not actually going to help you. It's not going to move you toward your goals. It's just going to look okay. But if you actually want like design and a brand and a business that you look at and go, that feels like me. I love that. I'm obsessed with all of this. I'm re-inspired to do the things I care about. Like that's what a good brand should do. That happens because somebody like looked at you and said, did you do your inner work? Do you know who you are? Do you know who you're serving? Great. Let's go. If you haven't done the inner work to that as a client, you can't expect quality design. And I think it comes back to that discipline and that recognizing you have to do the work. If you're going to grow your business, what, what satisfaction is there if someone else builds your business for you? And what about that business when it's finished is going to, or when it's growing, I don't think it's finished, but when it's growing is going to feel like you, it's not because it's not yours. It's someone else's. Your name might be on the LLC, but if someone else did the work for it, it's not yours. Like the soul of it, the thing that makes it come alive for people didn't come from you. We talked about that just last night. We were talking about copying people in the design industry. And we're talking about how if someone copies you, they're never going to get the results because even if they get a client from that copying, that client is expecting your brain, your inspiration, your work, your talent, your energy, not theirs. So there's going to be a disconnect anyway. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that we had that uh, coaching lesson because up until that point, you know, we didn't implement that, which is why we invited all of our alumni members, everybody to it, because it's such a huge issue. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if people would get it through their brains that like, Hey, you can copy so-and-so all you want, but at the end of the day, that person is going to be expecting so-and-so to come through when they're working with essentially you're an imposter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that can come from a lot of places, the wanting to copy or wanting to hide behind not doing the work. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's a hard question to ask ourselves and to be in integrity with the answer. What do I want out of this? Because there's lots of ways to make money. There's lots of ways to be recognized for something. There's not a lot of ways to stand in solidarity with who you are, to like sit with that and to say, okay, I'm not going to try to be somebody else. I'm going to actually run with who I am. And, and that, that can be scary. It's vulnerable. Building a business is vulnerable by nature. Like creating a following necessitates vulnerability. You're going to have to show up. We hear this all the time when we talk about content creation. You got to show up. You got to show up. Are you showing up consistently? But do we actually know what that means? I think it means we have to sit with ourselves and decide, okay, who who am I? What do I care about? What do I want people to see when they look at me? What do I want people to hear when I'm talking to them? And what do I want my clients to get? Not just what is the product I'm delivering, but like what's the underneath thing? For me, I don't just want to give somebody a brand. I want to help her break free of shame, break free of the things that are causing her to live small. Like I want her to have a breakthrough, whether it's in the strategy process or seeing her designs come together or launching it and seeing people support her. I want her to go from, I can't do this and I'm not inspired anymore 
to hell yeah, I can charge those rates. You know, like I want it to be a moment of breakthrough that's personal for her. But I only know that because I had to sit with my own breakthroughs and I had to sit with the things that sucked for me. And I had to continually show up and be disciplined and say yes to the things that weren't always comfortable so I could learn that about myself. And I don't I don't think we are in our power and are in the proper place for ourselves as entrepreneurs or as creatives unless we've done that inner work and unless we're going to take ownership for the, the work that needs to happen yet. If you're sloughing it off to other people, why? Like sit with that. There's a reason for that. And it probably is holding you back in a lot of other places. Yes, that is such a great like mic drop. <laughs> That's a great point. And with that, I also wanted to ask you about like your own mindset and pricing journey, like mm-hmm. what that's been like starting out in the design industry and like how you've increased your pricing and all of that stuff. Yeah, pricing is such an interesting topic. And there's, I'm so grateful for the people in this industry who are leaning into price transparency now because I think that's a relatively new movement for designers to start talking about how much we charge and for what and why. Because everyone who runs any form of business knows if you post your prices on the internet, people are going to get mad at you. Like there's no way for (laughs) that to go well. The amount of like amazing videos that I see on TikTok or Instagram where people are posting their prices and I'm looking at this like the artistry, the detail, the attention, like it's amazing. And I'm like, how is she not charging four times as much? For whatever it is that she's doing, I saw someone custom painting nails and she like fingernails and she'd painted on like Disney characters in full detail. And I was like, why are you not charging actually like thousands of dollars for this? And she's like, $500. Like what? And her comments are people saying, who would ever buy this? This is ridiculous. No one needs this. You're charging too much. I wouldn't pay $12 for this. There's always going to be those people. So there's so much resistance when you go to price yourself appropriately. I think actually you will have a really hard time pricing yourself well if you don't have a community who understands it. So that's where, again, I appreciate so much the friends that I've made through DBA because they're so supportive. But a lot of pricing for me, so the very first thing I ever did was a $500 website for a good friend of mine. And it was on Weebly of all things. Like, does anyone even still know what that is? Exactly, (laughs) right? Like, oh my God. So, but like I was using what I had. It was free. She wasn't willing to pay for things. I did not have anything put together. Like this was way before I was trying to do things as a business. She just needed something and I had an eye for aesthetics. So I thought, sure, I'll put it together. We did. As much as I love her as a friend, she was not a great client. (laughs) She was, it was not good. Um, And that was the first learning thing for me was like, okay, even with friends, I can charge a little more than that. And then I priced up a little bit more. I did a really, really, really horrendous logo because that was what (laughs) my client wanted and a half decent website, um, this time on Squarespace. So we're finding a platform that could work a little more. And I charged $600 for that. And like, that was a great experience. He was fantastic. He really was not techie and just didn't care. He's like, I just need it to be functional. If you can use red all over it, bonus points. I was like, okay, (laughs) good. So I went ahead and did it. It wasn't work that I loved, but it was, it served something for him. And I was happy for that. So like, it wasn't a bad experience. Then I started on DBA and like had all this learning to do about what industry standard was And that kind of 
was an expander for me. It was something that lifted the lid off of my perception of pricing. And I raised my prices a little bit more. And then I really got into saying, okay, well, I actually really do care about providing a client experience that's really seamless. And I'll be the first to admit I'm not there yet. I'm constantly developing my client process. I'm constantly finding holes in pieces of it or finding areas where I'm like, oh, I wish that was better. Um, I think that's inescapable when we really care about what we do. And especially as creatives who care about the way things look and feel and that matters to us. So I'm always developing all those things, but I had the confidence to raise my prices again. And then I got really clear on who do I want to serve and what do I want as far as income and how do I want to get there and really did a lot more thinking and sitting with myself and a lot more developing of some of those things that I felt were getting in the way of being able to charge more. Um, I could have raised my prices sooner and probably should have, but I didn't feel ready for it because I could see all the pieces that weren't as good as I wanted them to be. So it took some time to like slowly get that to the point where I felt okay, I actually do feel that all of this is something I'm confident pricing at whatever rate. So like my rates have gone from that $500 website to starting at 6K, that's Canadian dollars. So it's a little different when you put it into American, but starting at 6K, typically my clients are booking in at about seven and a half um, starting point. So yeah, it's been a learning journey. And a lot of the mindset of it has come from realizing a, how much work I put into this. Mm -hmm. I think it doesn't make sense for us to just throw out a number and think, well, that's good enough. Especially as baby designers, like sit down with a pen and paper and track every hour you spend on this next damn design. It will be twice as much as you think, if not more. And you'll start to realize your hourly rate sucks. Like sucks. <laughs> Go look at what professionals in other industries are pricing themselves at. Like my, I just paid my lawyer a thousand dollars to go over my contract from beginning to end. I was so thrilled to pay her that money because she knows what she's doing. She loves contracts. I didn't want to do it. It was stressing me out. Like I was thrilled to pay her that and probably would have paid her twice that because it took that much off of me and I could see that she loved it. And I think when we recognize that that's how people feel about paying us, the whole energy around pricing high ticket changes. Because when we think of, oh, well, I feel bad for asking for this much, or can I really price this high, or is that a bit much? Am I really delivering that much? You know, my brand package isn't that big. Like, just stop. That's a totally long, wrong line of thinking. And if we shift it to say, well, there's somebody out there who has had get my brand under control and design my website on her to-do list for actually forever. Every time she goes to make her website, she's in tears because she doesn't know how and she feels stressed and it, there's pressure and she can't make it look the way she wants. Like she wants to find somebody who just is lit up by this work and wants to do it forever. If that's you, feel good about charging what you do and probably charge a little more. Like I think it was Carliana who made a video a while ago talking about how the things that bring you joy are the things that you can charge for. And it's so true. Like one of my intentions this year was I want to find like lawyers and bookkeepers and accountants and assistants who love their work. Because when someone loves what they do, I'm excited to pay them full rate tip, the whole thing. 
I want to work with those kind of women and I want to be that kind of woman. I want to show up in a way where I love my work so much that people are excited to be paying my full rate. And yeah, of course, I want to back that with like high quality deliverables, a great process. Like I want to be able to deliver something that is worth that. But also I think that energy is so important, reminding ourselves that like, no, this is valuable. And especially as creatives, we can get trapped into this spot where we think, oh, everybody's good at this. This is easy. It's okay. It's not actually worth that much. No, it's not easy for everyone. The amount of people I know who've spent literal eight hours on Canva to design one single post because they don't know how to use it. Like there's so many people who are getting held back because they don't have the skill set. Well, that's why you hire a professional so they can take it off your plate. So I think when we understand kind of the bigger world that we exist in as creatives, um, the world that we exist in as business owners who need to price our services and be paid for our time and our labor and our energy, um, our objections around pricing ourselves can kind of dissolve a little bit. And the other thing with that is a big thing I've noticed through the Brief Collective and us sharing pricing transparency and how much we charge and how much our students are charging. Mm -hmm. People are always like, well, nobody can afford that or you're lying or this, this, and this. And it's like, just because you individually cannot afford that does not mean that your idle dream clients cannot afford that because you are not them. And I think that's the problem a lot of creatives have is that maybe they don't have six figures, multi six figures coming in, but their dream clients that they want to work with do, and they are ready and will happily pay for the service that's going to deliver them results. And that's what I just keep trying to get through people's minds, especially artists. Like that's, I don't understand why so many creatives have such a small mindset when it comes to this stuff, but I ultimately just tie it back to society and how like, you know, our entire society tells us that artists are always struggling and this and that, and like design gets put to the side as like this hobby thing. But when you get into the serious business world, you realize that design can quite literally make or break a business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if you think about, think about for a second, a world without graphic design, what do we not have? Advertisements at all. Like how many hours a day of ads does the average person see? The stats are astronomical. So much of our life is design. And even now, I think especially after the pandemic, we're even more on our screens. We're even more working remotely. Everything is about digital visuals more than it ever has been before. So we need this service. And to the point of like not thinking that your clients or your audience can afford you, we talk a lot about brand positioning. Like, are you setting yourself up to attract the people at the level that you want? That's going to constantly be something you're refining, but you got to ask that question. And if not, you need to pivot. You have to shift things. You can't expect to aim yourself at people who want to do branding on a budget and be booking 10K clients. Those two things are incompatible. So you got to change your language and change your focus to really show up at the level that those clients are showing up. And I think it's expansive too to find people on even social media that you can follow who are living a wildly financially abundant life 
who you see yourself in. Like get to know that it's not that far away. If that means finding somebody with ADHD who when you have ADHD, great. Follow them and see that it's possible for them and it's not that far away for you. If they're, if it's a designer that you want to see charging literal 30K projects every day, find them. I, I know a few, like find them and recognize it's not that far away or like whatever it is, you got to plug yourself into that reality that it really is not impossible to be charging these high ticket amounts. But the missing piece for most people I think is self-belief. It's that we look at all these things and we think, well, I can't do that. I'm still going to university and like living in my basement suite and I'm still whatever, whatever, whatever. Like get around more successful people, hear their stories. When I was working in business and leadership development, I had so many people who were kind of like teaching and guiding me who were still living in their crappy little basement suite apartment like that they'd lived in since they first moved to this city or whatever. And they just continued to like grow their business and grow their wealth. And their life still looked really small because all they were focused on was growing their businesses, but they were making multi-million dollars a year, but it didn't look like it. So we got to get rid of this idea that it looks a certain way to make a lot of money or that you have to be a certain type of person to make a lot of money because it's not true. What you have to do is believe that you can get there. I think something else that isn't talked about enough is the fact that we are not inclined to serve everybody. Like we don't need to serve the person who has a $500 budget. Like if somebody reaches out to me, that's their budget. Awesome. You're not a good fit for me, but I can send you to so-and-so who is a perfect fit for you. Like I don't have to serve everybody that walks through the door. There are so many other amazing creatives and talented people out there who serve different people with different needs. Yes, totally. And really, that's true in every industry, right? And I think this is a helpful mindset shift too. If you're thinking, well, I can't charge high ticket because there's just nobody who's going to afford it. Look at any other service and try to find people, people offering that service at like eight different price points. You can do it. You know, there's always going to be those people who offer, I'm thinking of like a facial. I can go to a franchise spa and get a facial for $50 or I can go to um, a luxury boutique spa in my area and pay $600 for granted a very different type of product, but same industry, same offering in a wildly different way, wildly different positioning. And both of those businesses are thriving. So I think we need to kind of break down these walls around pricing. And like, I think, especially if people are on Instagram and TikTok and like seeing all of the ways that these big 10K months and these 10K projects get put on this massive pedestal, I don't think that helps us at all. I think we need to take it off the pedestal a bit and recognize, well, yes, that amount of money could drastically change a number of people's lives forever. It's not that far away and it's not that out of the realm of possibility when you're building a business. Yeah. It's like, that's what the norm should be. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And I also think of the, when people are talking about, well, is it valuable? Is it worth that much? Like really when you get down to it, it's just designs. Oh, but is it? Let's say that you're designing for a a wedding photographer and they want to charge $10,000 for a wedding. That's not out of the realm of possibility. There are many people paying that for their wedding photography. So 
they work with you for $10,000, they get an entire brand suite that's going to position them to those people. They book one project and they make their investment back with you. You're not charging enough. You know, like when we consider what our brand is meant to do, it's not just meant to sit there and make everything look pretty. It's meant to help you get the clients you want. So if it is doing that, it's bringing in way more than it ever cost to create. So I think that can be a helpful shift as well for us as designers and also to be able to communicate that to our clients. Like that's one of the things that you've talked about with handling objections from clients. If they're not sure, you know, about price or they're not sure, well, I don't know how this is going to work because I'm only charging this much. You can remind them about where they said they wanted to raise their rates to because that realistically puts it all back into perspective. And I think sometimes we have to work harder as people in the creative industry to educate, especially in our industry, the design industry specifically, like we have to work overtime to educate people about the power of strategic branding. But once they know and they understand, they're ready to invest. And sometimes, you know, somebody might reach out and I can clearly see they don't understand yet. And I'm like, you know, it's not a good fit right now. But that doesn't mean they aren't going to keep watching my content and get educated and come back in the future with that knowledge. Yeah, totally. I think sometimes we can forget that we have a job to do educating clients at all. And we just kind of assume, well, if they're coming to us, they know things. That's not at all why people come to a professional because they know things, you know, people come because they need someone who knows things. So if as designers, we're not confident in those realities and in communicating those things and in educating clients. I think it's our responsibility then to educate ourselves. And that can look a lot of ways. You know, it can look like going through a course. It can look like following people who have been in the industry longer. It can look like watching some more YouTube videos, you know, like, but getting to know these things ourselves before we expect to teach them to clients is so important. And that's something I always tell our students too, especially when we're doing discovery call practice. I'm like, You can't get on the call and just start saying, here's my process. Here's what you're going to get. You got to ask the client questions because nine times out of 10, the client doesn't know what they actually need and you have to teach them. Then you lead on to the rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay for that to be a process that we grow into. I think like it takes time and practice to be able to sit with someone and see where they are and accurately reflect that back to them and then provide insight. That's a whole process that's happening between two people. And by and large, we're not taught how to do that in most of our conversations. But all of our conversations would change if we knew how. Like if anyone has a significant other or a spouse, your conversation would change so much with them. If you knew how to sit with them, right? You can see what they're feeling. You can see what's underneath the thing that they've just said. So instead of making it into an argument, you take that thing that they've just said and you say, oh, I'm so sorry I made you feel disrespected when I said that. I didn't mean to do that. Can I make that right? Oh, you've just taken something that could have been explosive and you've dissipated it because you could see what was underneath. It's the same thing in a discovery call. It's the same thing with educating clients. You got to be able to see what's happening on the surface and kind of diagnose the underneath things. And that takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of looking at clients who are in a lot of different places so you can kind of get a sense of what it looks like. And it takes being able to, going back to what we talked about before, sit with yourself and do the inner work in your own journey to say what is underneath the things that I'm doing what's motivating my own actions what 
what is causing me to think this way or do these things? Or you just got to sit with it for a minute and decide, why am I in business? Who am I serving? You know, all those questions, they give you practice in digging underneath things. So then when you get on the call with someone, you can hear the things that like should set off the alarm bells and tell you, oh, they don't understand something. I need to explain. It takes practice. And I'm so glad that you provide that practice, the beginning of that anyway, in the framework of DBA. And I think if you're scared to like get on the calls, you know, if you're scared to show your face in a call, get on Zoom, whatever, like do it anyway, do it anyway. You can always say no to someone who's not a fit, but you can't always magically get another opportunity to practice that skill of looking at someone and hearing what they're really saying underneath. So those are such valuable opportunities, even if you don't get a project out of it, for learning some of those skills that are going to benefit you. Yeah, in your business, absolutely, but everywhere else too, because it's people. That's exactly why we say, you know, this whole thing of building a successful design business or really any business in general, it's a process. I mean, it doesn't just mm -hmm. happen overnight. There's no magic secret. There's so many different things you have to work on. And especially on a personal level, like you talked yeah. about doing your first live and like having the courage to just get on there and do it. And then you went off and hosted your own workshop. Like you're building this foundational structure for yourself that's giving you more confidence and growing mm -hmm. as a person in the process. And that is something that a lot of people don't get to experience until they step into entrepreneurship and push those boundaries of their comfort zone. Totally. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why some people get so caught up in the affirmations and the like belief statements, but they get frustrated when they never work. And if somebody were to come to me and say that, you know, I've been doing all these affirmations. I have the like, I have, uh, I'm so grateful for my $10,000 client, like pinned on my vision board or like on my mirror. I say it every morning. Why isn't it working? Or like, I'm a confident designer. Okay, great. I love that you think those things and you're trying to put them into your, your life. But listen, if you're not doing anything to create the new belief in your identity, it's not going to become you. You're not going to change because beliefs actually don't become beliefs because we said them a million times. Beliefs become beliefs because we did something with them. So if we're going to say, you know, I'm a confident designer, what are you doing to show up with confidence and recognize that doesn't always feel like confidence at the beginning. It feels like being ready to crap your pants <laughs> and then you do it and then it feels confident because you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. Like, but we have to go through that process and we can't just expect that we can say all these beautiful things and suddenly we will become, you have to say and then do because in doing that, what you're telling your brain, this is the psychology nerd in me, but what you're doing with that is you're telling your brain, look, I am what I said I am. Look, this thing is true. See, I did it. And when you do that continually, that's the journey of becoming. So I think that's part of the process is recognizing, okay, do you value client process? What are you doing to improve that? It may not be perfect, but what are you doing to get it to be a little bit more of what you need it to be? Do you value high quality work? What are you doing to be able to produce more high quality work? Do you value showing up for your clients? How are you doing that? Like, what are the things that you say are important to you or that you say you want? And what are you doing in your life that actually creates that reality and tells your brain, oh yeah, look, she is who she says she is. Because I think that's what integrity actually looks like in business. This was such a great conversation. I think this is going to be so insightful and valuable for a lot of designers. I do have to hop off here soon. I have a client call coming up. Where can people find you on social media? 
yeah, people can follow me on Instagram at Prairie Glow Studio. And uh, my website also is prairieglowstudio.com. I am offering, I call it a sparkle session. So they're one-on-one coaching with me for an hour. I have um, had a couple of DBA students actually book them and say, like, I just really wanted to like get to pick your brain. And so I love doing that, being able to dive in, even with other designers. I offer them to pretty much anybody who wants to sit down and talk through something in their brand that's keeping them stuck, something that they just can't quite get past. And those are some of my favorite areas of business to be able to coach and dig into the things that you're dealing with and help you find a breakthrough. So those are open to anyone listening. Um, You can find them through the link in my Instagram bio or send me a DM to ask a question about that. And if you are a DBA student, I might just have a little surprise for you along with that. So I can't wait to connect with people after the episode. I'll put that in the description. And I think that you have such a way with words. And I mean, I've always said that since day one, when you came into DBA, I just saw that you were going to be like one of our top students because you have this amazing ability to communicate that I don't think a lot of people are blessed with. So this was such a great episode. And thank you for coming on and being a guest. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Unapologetic Designer Podcast. If you'd like to submit your unapologetic design opinions, head over to the link in my description to submit yours anonymously. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can follow our Instagram page or you can sign up to make a monthly donation. I'll see you in the next episode.